0: Hey, friends, welcome to Conversations with Kenzie, a podcast hosted by yours truly, Kenzie Brenna. No topic goes unturned here. We talk about everything with everyone. We like to get raw and sometimes we get heavy and sometimes we swear. So I'm warning you now. Also, we are working remotely. So audio quality between host and guest may differ. Lastly, check out our show notes for giveaways, fun promotions, or discounts to our favorite stuff. Enjoy the show. Hi, Megan. Hello, gorgeous. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. We were chatting before this and talking about what a wild time it is, and for how it is right now, I'm, I'm doing okay.
1: Yeah, it's for me, it is wildly different day by day. Mm-hmm. And you just can't predict at all.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's something where you, w- we say it all the time, um, when we're, you know, talking about mental health, taking it day by day, but it's literally taking it day by day.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're doing great. I'm doing great. We're all doing
0: <laughs> all of us. However, we're getting through this are doing great. Absolutely. What sorts of things right now have you been doing mostly to be able to not like pass the time, but, you know, um, certain things that you're doing that are making you feel really good uh, throughout all of this?
1: That's a good question. I'm not going to lie to you. Like some days I am just walking around in a haze, you know, when you lose days and you're like, what have I even done? I've stood and like stared at things. Those, those are happening sometimes. But then there are other days where I'm being silly with my roommate Jolie we literally just had an entire prom in our bathroom just for fun we got all dressed up we played music we danced that was great and I'm also still working so I'm I'm technically a key worker because I'm still taking care of my sister for a week-long period so I go back to her house tomorrow um, to do my shift there and we're creating lots of fun stuff together as well so that's uplifting kind of making her happy during this how about you what are you doing that's joyful
0: yeah um if I had a roommate to be able to create you know a little prom a bathroom prom with that would be amazing (laughs) with 80s songs preferably (laughs) because like I, I feel like the 80s really nailed it with prom like I don't know what it was but you know they had like the good music they had like the ridiculous dresses like prom just felt like it was invented not invented but they they nailed it in the 80s What am I doing lately? Honestly, I'm watching Netflix. Like I'm just, I'm, and I'm giving myself a lot of permission to not be hard on myself right now and to not be like, you know, this like productivity machine pumping out like content. That was something that I was talking about with an influencer and maybe um, you'd have some insight on this too. Being an influencer yourself is like, we thought that at the beginning of this, like, okay, maybe this is actually like going to be a really great time to create content right now. And maybe I can pump out all of this content and we're in the middle of it. And I've maybe done like three or four posts since this has all started. Like, I don't feel that creativity rushing through me. Mm, That's an interesting one. I, I
1: was very motivated at the beginning. So kind of the first weekend that it was announced that there are lockdown measures happening um I felt the panic and I immediately started making lists (laughs) because lists calm me down and they were lists of like what could help what could I do and I'd seen someone do a post that was talking about Italy and talking about those people coming out onto their balconies and you know playing instruments or leading fitness classes from their rooftop and the post said figure out what your instrument is and that's how you'll have a sense of purpose during this time and I was like okay well my instrument is probably making people feel better about themselves in one way or another just trying to be reassuring or comforting how can I do that and I kind of had a real sense of yeah this this is what I'm going to do with my time and I posted consistently for maybe a week every day which is is isn't what I do these days um, and it felt great and then suddenly I crashed I just completely crashed, and it was like I couldn't keep showing up for everyone else, and not because I wasn't allowing myself to feel the panic that I was just kind of holding. Like I was just like pushing it down, just below the surface, and now I felt it. It's again, it's a day by day thing with social media. Some days it just feels fucking weird to be scrolling on Instagram or like posting unrelated pictures or like just posting a selfie it seems like what the fuck there's a pandemic 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 going on how can i be just posting cute pictures of myself this is bizarre um yeah so it's it's day by day
0: I completely, completely agree. Um, You and I, we can talk a lot about body image and mental health, and um, we can be showing imagery of our bodies in different ways, ways that the media isn't usually showing us. And so when in we're in the middle of a pandemic and we start doing that, it does seem so unrelated. And I have tried to, you know, cross-apply it into our lives because, you know, poor body image, it really doesn't take a day off, you know, or poor mental health, it doesn't take a day off. Or when you're getting in that headspace of being really critical about your body, I mean, that happens whether or not you're out and about or whether or not you're staying at home. And I know that. And yet still it seems so unrelated to the stuff that's going on. But I kind of want to rewind a little bit and we'll, we'll get back to this. I want to hear a little bit about your backstory. I'm curious about like, what was like the moment or the post that really inspired you to start posting up photos of yourself and start sharing yourself in the ways that you do now?
1: It was a long time ago. We're going to have to rewind like five years. Let's do it. Or coming up (laughs) to like six years. It was a photo of a woman who was probably about like a size 20, 22. She was wearing a red bikini and she was posting about accepting her body and loving herself and not dieting. And I had come off the back of and a lifetime, a lifetime of dieting and a lifetime of eating disorders. And it was the, it was the first time I'd ever come across anything telling me that I didn't have to live my life like that. And that there was another option. That was the first post. That was the post that kind of set everything in motion. But from that, it was hundreds. It was this whole community that was blossoming on Instagram, all talking about body acceptance. And I really didn't intend for my Instagram to become or to have an audience. I was really using it as a journal. Uh, I was learning a lot about diet culture and about fat phobia and about recovery, and I wanted to put it somewhere. And I also, you know, I wanted to be part of a community that I felt like kind of got what I had been through or understood the battles I had had with my body in a way that I didn't feel many people in my real life did. So I started using it just to connect with them and post my thoughts. And then Instagram happened, like happened to blow up at the same time as I started doing that. Um, And that's when, you know, people started noticing that there was this little community and we started getting a bit more attention and hashtags started being spread and then articles started being written and it all just snowballed from there.
0: So there are so many people who are in recovery who can come across anti-diet messaging and body positive content and it just it's so opposite of what they've you know learned and what they've uh, what they believe. What made it different for you though? What was it about these posts that said this is something that's real and this is something that I need to go forward? This is because it must have also been challenging having that the anti-diet culture, narrative be introduced to you? Because I know that for me, you were the first person, one of the first people that I started following, and you made me so angry all the time. You were like, (laughs) you're like, you know, you can love yourself at any size. And I was like, that's bullshit. Because if I could, then I would have been doing that. And I remember following you, but it was like a hate follow. It was like, (laughs) I would follow you. And then I would like, bring back your posts to all of my friends who were you know, dieting, like, like hardcore. And I would say like, what do you guys think of this? Like, this just doesn't make sense. Right. And they'd be like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. And I'm like, okay. Right. So we're all right. Good. Good to know. But there was never like any type of intelligence criticism that was just like, it felt, it didn't feel right. So therefore it wasn't right. And then, but I kept coming back, I kept coming back. And so there was something so you did plant those seeds for me. And so I'm curious, like, was that transition for you? And um, what made what, what made it seem like true and real for you to want to go forward into that?
1: First of all, that's very interesting. Um, I didn't realize that you hated me so much, Kenzie. Wow, we've,
0: <laughs> we've really
1: come a long way. And we have <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have the same reaction. I think everyone does, you know, I get messages now from people saying the same thing I hate followed you I thought you were full of shit now I've finally seen it and people have that moment because if you've invested your entire life into a certain belief system and that belief system is diet culture it's thinking that thin is the only way to be healthy and happy and fulfilled then someone's stepping in front of you and saying hey maybe you've got your entire life wrong and all that time and energy and money that you've spent believing this could have actually been spending it on other things Of course, your natural reaction is to get defensive. We don't like when things jar against our way of seeing the world and our way of making sense of the world. And that's what diet culture is. It's a framework for making sense of the world and our place in it. So I had the same reaction and I tried to ignore the first pictures that I had seen. I was on the tail end of one of my last ever super crash diets and I was about to hit the goal weight. So I was like, well, obviously this is wrong. I'll just carry on and then I'll get there and I don't need to listen to these people. But what kind of happened was I was having my own private realization away from that, that it was never enough that every time I did get close to the goal weight or the end of any diet, actually I wasn't happy and could I keep doing that for the rest of my life? So that was happening in my brain just as I found these people saying, yeah, it's never enough and it will never bring you happiness and fulfillment and that's why it came together I remember a specific conversation that I had with my brother where I was kind of standing outside um, in our garden at home and I said to him what if I'm like 80 years old and I'm still dieting and trying to lose weight and I'm still counting calories and like is it true that there could be another way of doing this and another way of feeling about myself? And he kind of just said, you might as well try, you might as well give it a go because you've done this, you've been doing this and you're still here. So it was almost, I think some people kind of have to trick themselves and think, all right, well, I'll give it a go then, but if it doesn't work, I'll just go back to dieting and, and I'll just lose the weight again. And, and that's, that's how I'll do it. So I think I was dipping my toe in that way, telling myself that it didn't have to be forever. But once you're in, <laughs> you know this, once you're in, you cannot go back and unsee all of the shit that you have realized about diet culture and about bodies and weight. It's, yeah, it's one way from there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's like once you lift the veil, you can't unsee that stuff or once you start it's like it's like almost anything in intersectional feminism once you start learning about it, you can't ever not see it. Once you start learning about these structures and these systems in place and the history behind it, everything becomes part of it. Like everything is just so connected. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was so similar for my journey too, was I kept calling bullshit on these posts, but I kept coming back to them for some reason. I'm like, these people look so happy. Like these people look like they're really enjoying life and they're not dieting and stuff. And that can't be true. But I kept coming back and just like, I was just so hyper-focused on this idea that and like confused at the same time that this idea that you could just be happy with yourself Mm -hmm. happiness always had some so that was always synonymous with change for me instead of just accepting me as I am right now Mm -hmm. so when you were close to your goal weight and you said okay fuck it I'm going to you know not I'm not going to diet anymore was that really scary for you because I know for so many people who are listening they are either done dieting or they're in the process of thinking about what dieting means to them and what it means to their self-worth and their value and all of that. And I know that it can be really hard to let go of dieting when it's so ingrained in us, especially women, as a way of us being productive and meaningful and and all of that. So what was that like for you with saying, I'm not going to do this anymore, or I'm going to try to not do it anymore? It was terrifying.
1: It was really, really scary. And I think at the core of it, was the fear of gaining weight. You know, I'd I'd had anorexia as a teenager. I'd then been dieting off the back of that forever and that's what it came down to, you know, if you your first fear is if I stop dieting, I'm going to gain weight and my body is going to change. And that's accepting that that might not be a bad thing is the scariest part. And even if you logically know that that might not be a bad thing, like that physically happening, that's something that you then have to sit with every day and adapt to. I think along with the fear though, there was that thrill of the freedom of it. You know, those like first few weeks when you like start learning about intuitive eating and you stop weighing yourself and you're just kind of letting yourself eat and maybe playing with the idea that your appearance isn't the most important thing in the world. And you get such a rush from it because you're disobeying every rule you've ever given yourself. It's quite like addictive. I I remember everything just feeling so heightened. It was like I was experiencing taste for the first time and everything tastes so much better when it doesn't come filled with like guilt and shame and counting up every bite of it. So it was a real mix of these incredibly intense emotions.
0: That's a really great way to put it. Everything just tastes better without the side of guilt and like the seasoning of shame. That's just always nice to just not taste those things and not have food be a stressful experience. Although I know that the transition from dieting to non-dieting can just be, you know, you have to, you adapt and, and you're changing the way that, um, you know, you look at food and stuff. And that can be stressful for people because they've only ever looked at food as a way to manipulate their bodies instead of this thing. That that fuels you and, and make and is just enjoyable. That you have to be socially close with other people. Like it's, I mean, it, there's so many meanings to food. It's not about it, you know changing our bodies and stuff. So of course, there's like a little bit of stress that can go into that with the transition period. But you're right, things taste very, very great without the side of guilt and shame. Absolutely, and also people people think that um, they'll
1: just be out of control around food forever. Mm. I remember a lot of that. That was the fear of, Oh shit. I now I've, now I've opened this can of worms. I am never going to stop. Like I'm literally never going to stop eating cookie dough. And if you commit to unlearning what we are told about food and the rules of diet culture and commit to trying to eat more intuitively, you know, you, you do get past that phase of Holy shit. I'm out of control and move into a healthier relationship with food preferably with the support of a professional obviously but it those places there it feels like you're never going to get out of there it is possible to get to the other side
0: there is this one study that i i believe that you've it's been a while since i read your book but i believe that you cited in your book and it's the minnesota experiment uh you you cited it in your book right i'm not making that up okay okay great and to recap on that experiment for those who are listening it, it it this is why it makes sense why it almost feels like you're out of control when you are given food freedom and uh when you like when you diet you're triggering a famine in your brain and after you are when you're able to reintroduce foods into your life and you're saying like okay you can eat whatever you want your brain is still in that famine mode and so it feels like you can never get enough almost or or for some people it feels as if like I'm going to be out of control because I just can't stop thinking about it but it's because that your brain is now you know, you know, like wired almost in a different way because you've dieted and because you've triggered this famine response, which was, you know, proven in this experiment. Um, do you have any tips for people who are currently going through that? Like that, that, that fear of, oh my God, I'm going to let myself eat and then I'm never going to stop.
1: You know, I, I hear this a lot from people in recovery who kind of say it's a, if they've had a restrictive eating disorder, which led to weight loss, obviously it doesn't always. Um, and they're, trying to weight restore they'll kind of say i'm at this weight surely this is enough now this is like where i'm supposed to be why can i still not stop why do i still feel out of control around food why is it like this and i think it's important to have a bit of perspective as to how long we put ourselves and our bodies through disordered eating and diet culture and restriction why would it just snap back around and take no time at all to fix that and to make our bodies trust us again if it hasn't happened yet if you haven't reached this you know healthy place with food and you're still experiencing these out of control feelings and cravings maybe your body just doesn't trust yet that you aren't going to starve it again and and like you said that is that is what it is your your brain is so used to being in this cycle where it's terrified of the next lot of restriction because it thinks that's a danger zone and it takes a long time probably longer than you would think to unwire is that the opposite of of rewire there we go that's the word rewire those pathways for your brain to actually trust that you're not going to take the food away
0: and I know that you document your life, you know, very openly online. You do also maintain quite a private life. I've never asked you this before, but has there ever been a time that you've struggled with food or struggled with your body image where you thought, wow, I actually need a lot of help right now. And I'm going to check in with my community and just say that I'm not doing well right now. I can't really remember if that's ever happened with you, but has it?
1: That's, that's a good
0: question. And
1: I I think I am the exception, I know I am the exception, but no, because essentially, <laughs> I'm very, very stubborn, and I'm very all or nothing, so I had set my path on, I'm never fucking going back to diet culture, and I'm never going back to hating my body, <laughs> and I just launched on it, and um, and there haven't been any major blips, but I think in that it's important to to point out that You know, I am a size 16, light skinned, mixed race, able bodied, cisgender woman. I have only really had the mental side of this to overcome. It's not like I go out into the world every day and I'm forced to face the same kind of harassment and violence that people who are more marginalized because of their bodies and their identities have to face. I think when it comes to body acceptance when it comes to body positivity in general there there are two sides there's the internal which is your body image and how you feel about yourself and that's the that's the part that I had to do the most work on but then there's the outside there's the way the world treats you and because of the privilege that I have I have not had to deal with the same vitriol which obviously makes it easier for me to stay on this path of body acceptance um and heal my relationship with food. So I think that that definitely has a lot to do with it.
0: Speaking of sharing your life online, we recently got introduced to your partner. Um, <laughs> that that was really fun. Got to say, got to say. <laughs> well, you experienced like the secret,
1: secret close friend story. Ugh,
0: I know. And I was living <laughs> for them. You have no idea. Um, I really appreciated the first post that you guys made. Um, I mean, I know that you and I are in different categories of the world with sharing ourselves online and having a platform and having a community who listens to us. Um, It can be really scary sharing dating stuff and sharing new partners and and all of that. How did that feel? Um, Were you nervous or were you excited or did the excitement outweigh the nerves? I was scared as hell. And we had
1: so... I cannot even tell you how many conversations Kenny and I had about when we're going to share, how we're going to share, how that will affect us both professionally and personally, what the reaction is going to be, how we're going to deal with that, are we ready? And we waited, um, waited six months. So we had six months of secrecy and not like going to going to events, but like not interacting with each other <laughs> um, and then slowly just starting to like hold hands at the back of a room. I mean, it was a lot of fun. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like <laughs> that, that whole secret thing is great. And um, I don't think, I don't think he will mind me, me saying this. Essentially, it was always going to become public once we were confident that we were strong and that this was a long-term thing. We weren't just messing around and that became clear quite quickly that there was some serious feelings going on. And we held on and we held on, we held on. And there there was always another reason. There was always another shit. What if this happens? What if this happens? And then we got to six months in and I'm like nearly, nearly ready to go. Uh, And we've had, so many conversations about it and in one of them he made a comment along the lines of I understand why we're doing this but it kind of feels like I'm back in a closet and Kenny is trans and he's also pansexual so he's kind of come out two major times in his life and the second he said that, I was horrified because I was like, oh my Lord, I, I want to shout from the rooftops that I'm in love with you. Like That is how proud I am to be with you. I would never want for a minute for you to feel like I am keeping us in any kind of secret closet situation. That is not at all what I want. I am so proud. And that made the decision for me and that was, that was what made me click post and it was the right thing to do. And it's been fucking incredible ever since.
0: It was so nice seeing that and seeing the love from both of you and being able to share a side of yourself that makes you feel so excited. And, and when, you, especially when you're in that like phase of where like this person is perfect, even though of course, like they're not, no <laughs> one is. But when you're in that phase, it's really nice to share. And I thought I was like, I thought it was really beautiful Um Have you found in the past with, um, you know, having a very, very, very large following that sharing that side of your personal life can like allow for negative commentary? Did you ever find that with, um, because you've always been, you know, even though you've maintained a private life, you've always also been honest with people. There's always been like a post to say like, hey, by the way, like this has been going on for the last few months or like this is something that has happened recently and I'm taking some time to digest it. Um, Have there ever been like negative commentary on anything like that?
1: Definitely, definitely. I think people feel especially connected to influencers because we do kind of see, a little bit behind the scenes and a little bit of their life and so they think that they also have the right to an opinion on things that probably they don't really so I have absolutely had judgment on everything from you know my past relationship and how I handled the the ending of that um, to how I've introduced my new relationship um, how I am with Gemma what I wear what I eat all of it, and like, you know this, you know this, there are there are many, many opinions hiding in the DM requests. But I'm getting, I'm definitely getting better at standing strong in knowing that these, these people don't actually know me, and um, the people who do know me, those are the opinions that do count, and those people actually just want me to be happy. I think it's very easy to let Other people define you. And when you hear so many thousands of comments every day, you know, our brains as human beings are just not evolved enough to deal with that much feedback on every single decision we make and every single word we say. And it can drown you sometimes. And it can be so overwhelming to the point where you're like, am I doing everything wrong? Are these people right? Who even am I? Maybe I should just listen to them. It takes a lot of work and for me, a lot of therapy to get to a place of knowing myself better, trusting that I know myself
0: more than anyone on the internet. Yeah, absolutely. Learning what opinions to listen to versus what opinions to really like filter through and maybe say, okay, I don't know if I'm going to let this one so close to my heart. I don't know if I'm going to contemplate this one. Um, that takes practice. And um, and I know there's something else that you've been private with, but uh, I wanted to to chat a little bit about it um, where the body positivity community can be like the most uplifting, most incredible community. It's also because there are so many people fighting for space, rightfully so, a lot of times, or I shouldn't say a lot of times, but there have been moments where influencers can come after each other and certain people that maybe we thought were friends can actually be uh, like pretty hurtful in certain times. And I think it comes from a place of trauma and I think it comes from a place of wanting acceptance and wanting space and wanting um, their voices to be heard. And I know that um, that's happened to you. How did you deal with that experience and um, how are you doing now from it? <laughs> uh, it's,
1: <laughs> it's an interesting one for us, us to talk about together um, because we kind of went through it together. There have definitely been a lot of rivalries, a lot of calling outs, a lot of friendships that turned into the opposite. I think everyone's been cancelled at some point, and I, I'm really fascinated about the, by the conversation around cancel culture that is now happening, where we're aware that this is a thing, and we're actually talking about whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Do people get better from it? Is there such thing as cancel culture? You know, all of this it's been a lot to navigate and you and I were navigating it at a time where no one was having the wider conversations. No one was really acknowledging that it was a thing. They were just like, yeah, some people need to be called out if you're, if you're damaging the community. And it was a very um, black and white approach. I think that has been within many communities online for a long time around. If you say one thing wrong, you are done. You are out you are like a horrible person, and that is that's what happened to us you know some Some people decided that what we were doing was was harmful and that we were doing it wrong, so we needed to be taken down and you know this was for me someone who <laughs> who I thought was one of my closest friends and someone who I had looked up to for the entire time I was coming into the community and doing my own personal healing, obviously. I'm not gonna name any names or name any specifics, but it absolutely tore me apart because this is someone like we were saying earlier, whose opinion I had decided was close to my heart, who who I could trust, who I could listen to, who I thought saw me clearly and saw me as as Megan, not just as as Body Posse Panda. So for this person to cancel me, that is that is what attempted to happen. It really rocked my entire sense of self and purpose and what I was doing. And I believed this person. I believed them when they said, you're not helping anyone. You're, you're a piece of shit and you're doing damage and you need to stop. And I went to therapy for a long, long time. Um, And I think it literally took me about a year to be confident in what I was saying again. I couldn't. Post anything without nearly having a panic attack over the next person who was going to come and call out one thing that I had said or one word that I had gotten wrong I couldn't do any kind of events or, or interviews without picturing all of this feedback that was going to come from these from this this group of people of what it turned into and I remember I had lunch with Jess Baker who is obviously is the best Human being in the entire world, and it's like the best, like, like, I don't. There, it chess, oh, my heart, I know, the I best. Know. I was, um, I was trying to explain her the other day to someone. and I was like, when you're around her, it's like she's carrying your heart, and you know, there is no way in the entire world that she would ever drop it, she would never do
0: anything to harm you. That's such a beautiful way to say it, <laughs> it's so true. I was actually, I tried to explain who she was to my partner. Cause I was like, you have to follow her. You have to read her book. Like you have to, you have to, you have to. And I was like, there's just something that happens where she just walks in the door and you just drop all guards and you just want to embrace her emotionally and physically and just spill your heart. Cause like, she's so safe, yes. the safest human. Exactly
1: that. She's so safe. And so I, I had lunch with her while this whole thing was going on and I explained everything to her I assumed that she would have known what was going on she didn't she had no idea and I in my head Jess is like she's the OG of the body positive community like she is the the absolute top of the pyramid she had no idea that any of this had been happening and I spent a long time believing that she couldn't possibly like me like surely she must hate me because she's been here for ages and then I fucking rocked up with all my like privilege and was like listen to me um and and I, I couldn't believe she would actually like me turns out she actually did and we had a lovely lunch and I told her everything and she said to me you kind of have to remember that everyone in this community has come into this from a place of deep trauma lots of which hasn't been healed. They are searching for connection. They are searching for community and hurt people, hurt people. And it is, it's a cliche, but God damn, it is so, so true. And so much of what people try to put on us or call us is them projecting unhealed shit. And even after she had said that, it took me a very long while. I think it's like, i I, I only started believe, believing that Jess is actually my friend over the last maybe year. It took many years of her being like, Megan, stop it. I don't hate you.
0: <laughs> um, I honestly cannot tell you how seen and heard I felt right <laughs> now. <laughs> but we'll talk about that after. Continue.
1: It's a real thing. It's a real thing. Um, so it's, it's been a, it's been a journey and you know what i don't feel invincible now um i feel genuinely actually quite shaky just talking about this because it's been it took up so much of my mind um and my energy and it took so long to move past in some way and i'm scared like i'm 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 scared to talk about it still i'm scared to bring it up and obviously There are two sides to every story, and I'm not kind of blanket saying I never did anything that deserved to be picked up on or called in for, or, you know, I I was perfect, I didn't deserve criticism. That's absolutely not what I was saying. And I do think that's a whole other conversation, you know, how we call people in, how we teach people, how we ask people to be better for their communities, um, and to represent more people and to recognize their privilege. That's a whole conversation in itself. But I think and I know that the way we do that is not to make them feel so small that they think their voice is worthless and that they are nothing and that they have to talk about it in therapy for an entire year before they actually feel like a human being again who is
0: worthy of kindness. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I really appreciate it. And I know that so many people are going to be listening to this who have had similar moments in their life where somebody, you know, in their close friend group did something that really felt like it broke trust and really felt like it didn't warrant that level of outrage and that they've had to deal with it on their own and stuff so I know that you know people are going to even if this is a particular situation regarding like influencers and and a community and a platform and stuff it's still very relatable and so thank you so much for sharing that I know that it's definitely scary and um, something that it made me learn was exactly like what you were saying like how to call someone in I just like I learned throughout that that Shame is not a good education tool, and guilt is not a good education tool. And if we shame and we guilt people into our beliefs, then we can shame and guilt them into other things. And I just never thought that that was the way to build someone up to be a good critical thinker. Because if I'm just going to use the thing, so that's what I learned from it. And it was like, yeah, months of, like you said, months of trying to get back to believing. Believing in what we are saying and feeling like we had a right to share our stories online and feeling like it's okay to be able to talk about our experiences and of course be mindful throughout that and be very mindful and careful of the language that we use and the privilege that we hold and still be able to Continue to foster community and continue to be storytellers at the end of the day. Um, so I want to get back to dating, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, how did you and Kenny meet? <laughs> um that is actually
1: a story that we have not yet told, and okay. I don't know why, but we seem to be saving it. I'm not sure what for, so okay. I can tell
0: you that. That's okay. I love mysteries. I love a good mystery. It's my favorite type of TV show, so <laughs> I'll be sure to keep my notifications on for you guys. It's interesting. Can you actually drop, we'll, we'll drop his um, at in the show notes, actually, but um, I've learned so much from his platform. I mean, he's such an incredible advocate. Uh, I love like hearing his story of like body image and stuff. And um, he is trans and, and him talking about that experience online so openly is is it's such a he's such a fantastic human being to follow. He's like a goodie. I prove, I approve. I approve.
1: Yeah. And he's super ridiculously hot.
0: I don't know if you've noticed. Oh, it hurts. I remember when I first saw the few stories of you guys and I was like, I don't know who's hotter. Like I don't, I'm so I'm lost in this. It's not fair. It's really not fair. What tips do you have for some people who are entering into the dating field? Um, did you know that you were ready to date when your last relationship ended? Did you feel like you wanted some space? I asked you a lot there, so feel <laughs> free to answer whichever question. Okay, so
1: I um, my, my last relationship was a, was a long one. It was nearly eight years, but it was unhappy for a, quite a few at the end there. And I think when you're kind of holding on and trying to make it work, and it's clearly not – you almost are prepping yourself to be single or you're like pre-grieving the relationship in a way. So I broke up from, from him and had a few months of like complete grief and, you know, the whole lying on the floor, wailing, that thing. And then I was ready and then I was ready to get back out there. I think I needed more than anything. I needed just reassurance that it was going to be possible for me again, that it was going to be possible for me to feel things again. I went through quite a, quite a time after a long breakup, which I'm sure is very common of I am, I'm a zombie. I am never going to feel, um, I'm never going to trust anyone ever again. And also I wanted to have some fun, like, (laughs) your girl wanted to get out there get dressed up get her kicks okay so that is what
0: I spent a few months doing we support you we fully support you
1: (laughs) yes we are sex positive in this house so I also roped all of my single friends in I, I had this kind of mass effect on becoming single where I turned all of my friends into um how do you how do you say it real thirsty, real real thirsty bitches and we were out there together (laughs) and we were like going through the dating apps together we would spend entire evenings having a scroll like telling each other what we should say, going on dates some were terrible but (sighs)
0: they were all... Go it's on. such a fun part of dating is that beginning stage when you're like ready and you're like, and then you download 50 dating apps and you go through <laughs> each and every single one of them and you're like potential opportunity, potential opportunity. And it's like a dopamine hit. It's like playing a slot machine where you're like, Ooh, what am I going to get today? Kind of thing. So yes. it's oh, so fun.
1: It is, but it's also like a full-time job. Like the hours that I was putting in on, on dating apps, I was not doing anything else, not sustainable. and then the person who I actually ended up being with didn't meet on a dating app like the only person that I didn't meet on the dating app um so what what happened then what happened then yeah dated around I would say tips tips for getting back out there before I started dating anyone this sounds kind of cliche but I basically started dating myself like I genuinely had to teach myself the standard with which I deserved to be treated. I had found myself over the years in my last relationship kind of settling into accepting a lower and lower level of care and love and romance and, and all of it. And I needed to show myself what I was actually deserving of, whether that meant buying myself flowers or Getting in my lingerie and dancing for myself in front of the mirror, or buying myself a new sex toy and exploring that, and just really falling in love with me and showing me the kind of love that I deserve. So, I did that first, and I think that is so important for anyone who is, whether you've come out of a relationship or not, looking to get out there looking to date because if you don't have a super, super strong standard of this is how I expect to be treated and I'm not going to accept any less, people creep in. You know, we, we kind of get lured by like promises and the idea of people. And before we know it, we're kind of in something where actually we're not getting what we deserve. So that's my biggest tip is to date yourself first and show yourself the kind of love that you expect to receive out there.
0: That is so true and so difficult for people because we spend so much of our time avoiding ourselves, which is also, I think, such a big lesson that we learned in recovery is the fact that you have to start the relationship with yourself and you have to start getting to know yourself in so many different ways. And dating, it's it's a very can be a very wonderful, can be a very scary thing to do for people because oftentimes, and I mean, I'm like guilty of it. And uh, we use people to fill a void. We -hmm. use people to make that internal loneliness be quiet for a little bit, but we don't get the level of respect. We don't get the level of care. We don't get the level of love that we really want and that we really deserve. And I don't think a lot of people know that about themselves. Like I don't think that a lot of people know what their boundaries are, what their limits are, what they want, what their needs are, because they haven't spent the time to get to know themselves. Was that a difficult process for you? Because it was for me because when I started dating my, my current partner, I felt like I did so much work, but it was hard. Like I, I had to say no to a lot of things and I had to say yes to a lot of things and a lot of that was new mm-hmm. and I didn't like, I, I mean, I never like growing. I'm like, we, oh, I always like say like growth is so great, but I'm like, in reality, it's like, oh, got to grow again. I hate <laughs> this part. I hate this part of life. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: a lot. I think it's, it's, it's a constant growth. And for me, I find myself slipping back. I find myself, you know, letting things slide that I told myself wouldn't happen. Um, And then, oh, shit, I've got to set that boundary again. Um, And I have to reteach myself
0: again. New question. Did you go on a date with anyone that knew you from online or that found (laughs) out who you were online? Because I've had stories.
1: (laughs) Oh, oh, there's, there's stories. There are stories. I, I think, um, so I went on one date, this was an internet date, with someone, we were getting along great, we were going to meet at a bar, met him, and we clicked quite well, He's very handsome, conversation was good, and then it wasn't until about half an hour into the date that I was kind of explaining what I do for a job, and he was like, oh yeah, I know. I, I know already, um, my mom actually follows you and, and <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. dying. So this whole lead up, this whole asking me out, you've actually known who I was and you haven't told me that I didn't like. I, I dated another person who was literally open about it from the beginning and we matched on a dating app. And the first thing he said to me was, um, you're not, you're not the real Megan you're just using Megan's pictures like I know what you're doing oh he's calling Um, out a catfish yeah he thought I was catfishing um which was delightful and obviously it was me and I eventually convinced him of that and then we went on a couple of dates didn't work out yeah he wasn't he, he, he was one of those men who was very good at crying feminist, um, but not very good at actually being one. Um, but anyway. Oh, so God. Kind of, Gross. Gross. Yeah, yeah. Easy to fall for, though. Very easy to fall for. So I've kind of done both. And, and I've done ones that didn't have any idea who I was and didn't give a shit about the Internet either.
0: So, you know, the whole, the whole trio. The guy that I'm dating now, I made it a thing where I'm like, I'm not going to tell them until they figure it out. I'm not, I'm just going to tell them that I work on social media and that this is the community that I work in. And like, I'll let them figure out if they want to explore. And so I was dating this guy for about a month and a half or maybe a month. And uh, on one of the dates, we were like walking and holding hands. And he's like, so what date number Is it that you end up telling people you have a quarter of a million followers on Instagram? And I was like, oh, nice. Okay, well, at least you know. Great. Now I don't need to explain it kind of thing. But it was always kind of like scary. Did Did you feel that? It was always like nervous, like bringing that part of your life into a conversation with somebody who is a potential romantic partner?
1: Oh, absolutely. Because also I remember scrolling through dating apps and some people literally having in their bio... If your whole life is about social media, I'm not interested in that kind of girl. And it's that you know you never know if someone is going to misinterpret what you do, or belittle it, or think too much of it, and and be like sycophantic about about it, and and think that you're like some kind of VIP. Like that's not what you want either. It's it's scary. It's you know because it's not really a, a known thing. Um, yeah, it was very scary. How did yours how did how did your partner
0: react? He was so chill about it. He was like, "Okay, cool." And I'm like, "Is that it? That's all that <laughs> that's it." Like he, and he and because you because of the communities that we're in it's a different type of influencer like quote unquote it's mm-hmm. like you know we're we're not selling diet teas we're not face tuning our face or photoshopping our bodies we're not like in bali riding an elephant like under a waterfall like selling people toothpaste it's like different and mm-hmm. so because of that i think that the way that he looked at it was like it had this has a deeper meaning and oh wow social media can be used for for good um but i'm really happy that he doesn't do anything on social media and i'm like great keep it that way because can't (laughs) be two of us stuck on our phone all day kind of thing
1: but does he take good pictures?
0: no absolutely not i'm done no (laughs) useless it's great, but no, there's no way. Are you, he'll, half of his thumb will be in it. And it's kind of great because... Um I get to like have this other world and then I get to almost like come home from it and share it with him rather than him be so hyper-involved mm-hmm. um, and he has like a total different job than than what we do um, and so that's kind of nice but yeah, it would be nice to also have a cameraman. Hello, that would be great. I could save a lot of time scheduling in my friends to help me out with that because everyone knows it's so much better creating content with someone else. I'm kind of curious to chat a little bit about sex and body image because we know that you know poor body image can sometimes result in not having the best sexual experiences because we're really scared of our bodies and it's such an intimate, such a vulnerable part of ourselves and I know that in, you know, in my personal journey, sex is, it has always gotten better with communication it has always gotten better with being open, but that openness can be so hard. And sometimes it feels like it takes the sexiness out of the moment. It it takes the, it takes the, like, you know, the fact that all of this should just be organic and natural. And I remember, do you know Esther Perel, the relationship she's, um, she's, uh, like a relationship therapist, and she has like a really iconic podcast. And, um, and her advice on relationships is so great. And there was w- this one woman in it that says, you know, sex should be organic and sex should be natural. And Esther Perel said, where the hell did you come up with that? And that was like, so validating, because sex for me has always been work. It's always been like, I've always had to almost learn it. And it's and at the same time, it's felt very natural to me. And I've realized that because of my body image issues, those are the parts of me that I have to like really work through. I'm curious if like that has ever come up for you and if you have any tips for people that are struggling with intimacy in their lives because of that.
1: So for me, sex was always just a performance. I was incredibly detached from my body from my needs from my boundaries even my safety you know I made some very unsafe choices when I was younger because I was so sure that sex was something that I could provide for another person you know it was something for me to prove my worthiness in a way or prove that I was like worth someone's time or that maybe my body maybe my body was worth something if, if someone else would accept it and it was never about me, never about me feeling good, never about me having fun even. It was just a performance. And so I took a lot of my cues of, you know, what is sexy from deeply male gaze orientated sexual content, whether that was like porn or just stereotypes about what sexuality is supposed to look like for a woman. And that just put me further and further into this performance mode. And I think even when I... Um, when I started accepting my body more and I started reconnecting with my body more, that took a long time to get out of. And I'm still not fully out of it now. Um, you know, in, in my current relationship, we, we are so incredibly communicative about everything. Emotions work, all of it. There is nothing that we don't talk about in great, great detail. It's the it's the healthiest relationship I've ever been in in that way. And that includes sex as well. And that includes before, you know, what, what mood we are in, what we, what we currently feel like in our bodies for both of us, you know, body image and dysphoria for him. And adapting around that and having a debrief afterwards about how did that feel? Was that good? Anything you want more of, less of? How are you doing emotionally? You know, there's so much communication, which is so new to me. And occasionally afterwards, he'll kind of say, before I've even said it myself, did you just slip into performance mode for a little bit? Because, you know, I, I, I enjoyed myself and I love you, but I just want you to be present. I just just want you to be you. And no one has ever said that to me before. No one I've ever had sex with has ever kind of just said, I don't need you to pretend to be someone else i don't need you to, to just focus on my pleasure he'll literally turn around to me sometimes and be like you're focusing on on pleasing me too much whether that is sexually or emotionally like you are prioritizing me too much prioritize yourself and i need the reminder sometimes because i still slip back into it i think in terms of tips in terms of tips for body image and sex again it starts with you it starts with with knowing your body. It starts with pleasing yourself, finding, exploring what you like sexually, exploring how your body looks at different angles. I mean, we're in a position where it, it kind of in our jobs, we see our bodies at lots of different angles and we see ourselves in various states of undress and that kind of allows us to adapt more to getting used to seeing ourselves so that we're not so hyper-focused on that one way with someone. But even if you're not a, a body-positive influencer, you can get used to seeing your body. You can take pictures for yourself. You can take videos for yourself. You can spend time walking around in your underwear. You can explore your sexuality for you first. And I think,
0: yeah, that's it. That's the tip. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's so nice to hear that you guys have a very trusting, very communicative relationship, especially in that aspect, because I do think that I mean, especially for women, like we do get so focused in on the performance and, and pleasing other people. And if that happens, then we get, you know, the feeling of gratification of like, okay, I did good. Now I get like my brownie points and stuff rather than us focusing on our bodies, what feels good and and true to our bodies instead of it always just being focused on, on them. I remember when I started to realize that, wow, the way that, I how good I feel during sex really revolves around whether or not I feel comfortable in my body and comfortable with this person with my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started doing like this like intimate personal like meditation and like it's not really a meditation but it was just me sitting in like my underwear uh, bra on or bra off and just like feeling myself just like literally like feeling like my hips and like my thighs and like my arms and not even in a sexual way, but in like a sensual way, just like taking in my body with like all of my senses and realizing that like, because there's always this like fat phobic fear where I'm going to be too big for a person, like like I'm going to take my clothes off and then they're going to realize like, oh wow, this person is this size as if they haven't been, you know, looking at you before then. And, um, and so a way for me to like dismantle that is to like feel myself and be like, this is fine. Like I'm okay at whatever size that I am, regardless of being big or small or in the middle, like of it all, like it doesn't matter, like what's what's big in the world is like you know a big giant tree or a building like I'm nothing in comparison to that and so doing those meditations helped me feel much more comfortable in my body to have sexual experiences with people and honestly like going to like a sex club or like watching good porn like that stuff like can definitely change the way that you know you look at bodies and the way that that you experience pleasure yourself and making sure that you're watching stuff that you know that has to do with like real people and real scenes. And um, checking yourselves on like those little things, I think, have been like really helpful for me and made me feel like just better about sex and just like how I don't know like how else to say it, but like how normal it can be when you're not focused on like it being like this like perfect thing for them. So it's really good to hear though that um, you and in- yet that you're at a place in your life where you can like, you know, like have like a pre-talk and a post-talk and discuss boundaries, discuss wants and all of that. That's, oh my gosh. So good. It's and it's wild when you like start thinking about like your life before that, where you're like, how was I not having these conversations? Like, what was I doing Oh my God. Yes, like the the the
1: level of unhealthiness of never really doing consent properly or never really discussing like what you even like. You know, you just, <laughs> oh, I don't, yeah, I don't ever want to go back there. Communication all the way.
0: Yeah, and it's so awkward at first where you're like, um, I just wanted to let you know that I wasn't really, I didn't really love this like one thing that we did, like you get so scared. And then when you realize that, the other person can hold space for you and can hold the fact that they can do something different, it gets easier like that. And that builds trust and that trust builds on more communication. And like, it just like, it's a positive feedback loop. And like, there's so many good things about it. You just have to push through that initial discomfort of being open and getting over the fact that you, yes, like feelings might get hurt. But that's because like we live in a world where we haven't taught people how to be strong in uh, not criticism, but just when someone's telling you to do something differently or, um, you know, just, just, yeah, I don't want to get like too far down the rabbit hole, but communication in that, in that area is like definitely key. I'm curious, um, if you were living another life, what would be your profession, even though that I know, I know that you like have this like extroverted personality online. I know that you have this like huge, deep, introverted side. Um, So I'm curious, like, what would like, what would a profession look like if you weren't, you know, like an international speaker, bestseller, influencer? extraordinaire <laughs> showgoer, like what, what do you and Jolie call yourselves um, when Performer? you go performers? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. Okay. Um,
1: That's hard to say, because I kind of have always and still do have another life. Um, the, you know, be it being with my sister and being a, a caregiver for my sister is, is the, introverted, small town, I hang out with her, I come up with stuff for us to do together and that's like the, the thing that keeps me on the ground, basically, when I have all this wild shit going on to do with the internet or fancy places to go and people to meet and all that, and then I get to come home and be with her and have a bit of routine and stability and family. So I kind of have that anyway. I think if I could choose, if I wasn't doing this, a career that I could choose Ooh. You know what? I quite fancy being like a world-renowned but unknown painter. I will, Banksy, basically. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> if I could be, <laughs> if I could be a version of Banksy, but I'm like, I would like to be in the Italian mountains doing my paintings. And oh my god, a, you know,
0: not what I expected. <laughs> This is amazing. Please. I, think
1: I like the idea of like having the creative outlet and creating things, but
0: complete anonymity. <laughs> I love that. I think the anonymity side of Banksy is so interesting because you almost get to produce whatever you want and then be so well known for it, but then still walk around all day and people are, you know, going to give you shit or like not going to give you like the best service at a, at a restaurant or at a bar because they don't know who you are, but you create these like iconic graffiti art or the, he had that painting that destroyed itself. Did you see that? Mm -hmm. So good. Okay, cool. So if we start seeing that, we start seeing Banksy's work, but like in like pink and blue and purple (laughs) then we know what's going on but we'll keep you anonymous yeah Yeah. (laughs) you can be suspicious (laughs) megan thank you so much for coming on today i really appreciate it i know so many of the listeners will know where to find you but for those who are just being introduced to you for the first time where can everyone chat with you online i am at body panda on just about anything where did the panda part come from because i've never seen you even dress up like a panda like, right. are you a panda? Like First are we- of all, do you see this mug that I'm
1: drinking from? Hello, it's a panda. <laughs> I have a panda onesie upstairs. I also have approximately 10 stuffed pandas. Pandas have been my favorite animal since I was seven years old. So at me, Kenzie, we can fight about this another time. Never see me dress up as a panda. Mind I'm
0: the being- <laughs> worst friend ever. She's been drinking this tea out of a panda mug for the last hour and a bit. <laughs> i like pandas. That's what I heard I'm about like- you. <laughs> <laughs> oh so good okay good to know good to know we are a panda lover um and how is Gemma how is she doing
1: she's good she's good. like very cheery during this whole pandemic she's watching a lot of friends um,
0: oh, yes Saying
1: in her pajamas a lot she's loving it
0: oh it's like exactly what I'm doing too <laughs> I'm gonna come by one day and have a sleepover with you guys and That's dance it. and do all of the things you're um, very welcome Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Talking about all of the things today. I know that so many people are going to learn so much and they're going to feel so seen and heard from your voice. And everybody who is listening right now, we are going to have some highlights in the show notes. So definitely be sure to check out them and check out Megan online. Um, You're primarily on Instagram, right? Is there another platform that's your favorite?
1: Instagram's the favorite. Occasionally on Twitter.
0: Everything gets cross-posted to Facebook. That's Mm. about it. Okay, great. Thanks, Megan. Bye.